And let me find out as soon as Chris is ready for us. We're ready to go. All right, Tabby's going to open us with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this wonderful day and this time together. I ask that you will teach us and guide us and to help us to learn these things and apply it to our life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Champions Dinner, April 10th. You all are invited to that. All of you are. We're thrilled to uh, be able to serve you in that way. I'm going to invite the elders to come if they can spring free. Uh, and we'll hand out our grades that night. And we'll celebrate. And, and then um, the Sunday after that, would love for, um, I think we're going to turn it over. I'm not sure if Spencer's going to share that day or not, speak that day or not. I know I kind of shut you an email, but you maybe haven't had a chance to look at it or even think about it yet. But I've invited him to speak if he wants. But I'd like to have some testimonies from you guys about what the class meant to you. And in that way, to be very honest with you, that's what will uh, kind of maybe spur the interest of others next fall. Hopefully we can offer this again. And it can be an ongoing thing as God brings new people into our church. So uh, those are a couple of dates that we'll be talking about. Let's see if we can get this to... There we go. We're going to be talking about worshiping. And I want to show you that the picture I saw, because I remember this picture very clearly. All of these were pictures. They came to me in picture form, all of them. Uh, I remember some more clearly than others. I've been teaching on this for years. These pictures came years ago, for the most part, four of them initially, three more shortly after that. This picture, what I saw was just a whole bunch of people worshiping God, but there were three words. If I were to describe that worship, there were three words, and these are not in your notes. Uninhibited. It was uninhibited worship. In other words, a word that I would describe that would be passionate. It was very passionate. These people were uninhibited in their praise and worship. They would be like David. What did David do that his own wife was, was embarrassed for him? What, did, what was he doing? He was dancing before the Lord. This, is like, this would be like President Obama dancing down the highway to the Lord. Wow, I didn't know that. Wow. So David was in a sense saying that he had been conquered by the Lord. Wow, I like that. I didn't even know that. That's that's a cool story. That's cool. That, that tradition behind that, the history behind it. Thank you for sharing that. Very, very cool. I saw uninhibited, passionate. I mean, it was like a big crowd of people just going for it. I saw that they were unrestrained by time. They never even thought of time. I love the flat fact that we do not have a clock in this room. And there's nothing spiritual. Don't misunderstand me. There's nothing spiritual about long. If God's through in an hour, we should be through in an hour. No need to go further. If he's not through for three hours, we should go three hours. We move when the cloud moves. The whole idea is we need to get rid of the time. These people that I saw, time was not even thinking. And the fear of man was not over them. They were not worried about what the person next to them thought or anybody else thought. They were going for it. And then it was all-inclusive. This is probably the thing that blew me away the most. Everyone was worshiping with those first two points. Everyone was doing it. I mean, they were going for it. So that's the picture I saw. Now, what I want to do is, um, Lisa, we're going to let you do it. Read the introduction, if you would. We don't often do this, but we're going to do it today. For years, worship took a back seat to the Word. The prevailing thought was that worship was simply preparation for the Word. Today, in most churches, we have brought worship more to the forefront, polished it up, made it contemporary, and pursue an excellence in sound and production. While all of these are noble, I fear that we are still falling far short of what God has in mind for our worship. When people ask me which is more important, worship or the Word, I say neither. They are both important. They are both meant to bring us into encounters with our God. Therefore, in today's picture or value, we will be sharing why we place such an emphasis upon worship. We're going to be looking basically at two main points, why worship is so important. Uh, I believe that it is incredibly important. It is not a prelude to the word. 
It's not simply meant to prepare for the Word, though it does do that. I mean, I receive way more, and I love even teaching more after worship. But it's not just a just to prepare us for the Word. It is in in and of itself. That's why if we ever have a meeting where, for whatever reason, God chooses for us just to worship, and there is no giving forth of the Word of God, that, that meeting is just as powerful as any other meeting. Mm. And then we would be fed. Man, I like these stories, you guys. Yeah, that's great. I like that. That's a cool way to look at feeding him. He definitely feeds off of our worship. There's no doubt about it. He feeds off of our worship. Uh, Then we're going to talk about a treatise on praise and worship using Psalms 150, one of the most encapsulated teachings on praise and worship that I know of. It answers the question, where do you worship? Why do we worship? How to worship? And who should worship? I mean, it is probably one of the most all-encompassing in six short verses. So we're going to look at that. Key verse. And I want you to tell me, why in the world would we choose this verse for praise and worship? I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That's Acts 15:16 for somebody listening to it. I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. There's not a mention of praise in there, not a mention of worship in there. Why, why did uh, the Lord have me pick that verse as a key verse for this whole lesson? Anybody? There you go. That's it. That's it. 4,000 musicians, 288 singers, uh, 24-7 IHOP style, worship, praise, and I'm not sure Mike Bickle must have looked at somehow in the Old Testament. I haven't yet seen this, so don't ask me where this is at. I'm taking this from Mike Bickle here. He said for 33 years it went on that way, for 33 years. So you'll have to look it up if you want to know further on that. I'm I'm passing on just sharing something that I received. Wow. Wow, that's interesting. That's an interesting concept I hadn't even thought of. So you have this 33 years, which could be significant because it relates to how long Jesus Christ was on the earth. But for 33 years, think about 24-7 praise, worship going on. Uh, What was it, 4,000 musicians? I can't even imagine that. 4,000 musicians. That's crazy. Now, they probably weren't all playing at the same time, just like an IOP type thing. And uh, I had 300 singers. It says, I think, 288 uh, is the exact amount that they had. So we're going to look at why is worship so important. You guys tell me. Why is it important before we, before we give you what we have here? Anybody? Just a little bit. I like to have a little bit of discussion. Anybody tell me why it's important? What's that? It's our attitude. It, it, and it can affect your attitude, too. It, it reflects your attitude. And can affect your attitude. I can come in in a bad attitude, start worshiping, and change my attitude. But it's also a reflection of our attitude. Somebody else? Focus for me. Focus. I love that. Focus on who? Him. It's all about him. Even though we jokingly play something else sometimes. He inhabits. Uh, He inhabits. What's that word inhabit mean? Yeah. He lives there. He says, this is a good place. I'm going to come live right there. That's excellent. Somebody else, why is it important? It honors him. Oh, that's, that's powerful. I'm sorry? We were created to do this. Absolutely. Absolutely we were. It's what's going on in heaven. So let's start it down here so that when we get there, we'll be like, oh, we can just continue doing this. Day and night, 
night and day, let incense arise. Love that song. That's the prelude to battle as well. This is interesting. We're getting a lot of good things here. A lot of what we're going to show up here. In fact, you guys are really just nailing this. Well, let me, again, I, I'm trying to keep us on track. Help me out with this. Uh, first of all, and we'll just pass it down like we usually do. Read the scripture, pass it down. To know Him. To know Him. You want me to read John first? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Read that one first. That was in general, and I didn't share that. That's John 4:23. Yet a time is coming, and he has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that seek the Father. That the Father, that the father, the father seeks. seeks. Yeah, that's important. The reason why I wanted to make sure you got, said that right, because that's really important. That tells me how important this value is to him. Right there. He's looking. For what is he looking for? What does it say he's seeking for? Worshippers. True worshipers. Not just worshipers. True worshipers. True worshipers. Now, what would be a, a, um, a case of false worshipers? Jesus one time said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in... Anybody remember what he said? They worship me, he said, in vain. So that would be a case of false worship. Their lip service is going. I mean, they're saying all the right stuff. They're singing the song. But their heart is eating at the dinner table. (laughs) I'm just going to pick something that probably has happened to us in the room. You know, their heart's not even there. It's not even attached. He said, that's vain worship. I mean, they're not really worshiping. So we want to make sure it's true worship in spirit and truth. Yes, only in ourselves. You're saying we shouldn't be judging other people doing it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, I don't think I can. I can't tell you if your heart's in it or not. Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I think I'm following where you're going now with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think we need to be really careful. Plus, especially, let's talk about the heart for a moment. I, I can't judge whether you're worshiping from your heart or not. Yeah, I can't. You know, so I need to be very, very careful not to sit there and go, oh, you're not really worshiping. Who am I to know? I don't know that, all right? But we want to be true worshipers. I mean, the fact that he says it means that there is such a thing as not being a true worshiper. He's looking for true worshipers. All right, to know him. Why is it so important? Number one is to, or A, is to know him. Psalm 76, one. God is known in Judah. Now, God is known in Judah. doesn't say anything about praise. I'm, a couple years ago, I was reading through the uh, one-year Bible, and I came across this word Judah, and I remembered from back in Bible college or somewhere, I don't know where, that the word named Judah means praise. So all of a sudden, I started paying attention to a whole lot of things that were said about Judah because, when, because that was signifying, it was a picture of praise. So when it says God is known in Judah... It's actually saying God is known in praise. You want to get to know God better? Enter into worship and praise, and the more you do it, the more you'll get to know Him. Now let me ask you this. Are there different levels of knowing someone? Absolutely. How many of you would agree I know you guys better than I know the President of the United States? But I know both of you. I could use the word know for both. I know Him. And I know you, but I know you better. I have some friends that I've known for years and I'm pretty close to. Would it be safe to say I know them better than I know you? Yeah. Very safe to say that. And then I know my wife in a way, in ways that I don't know anybody else. Intimately. Personally. She knows me better than anybody other than God Himself. And I know her better than anybody else. So there are levels of knowing. As we enter into praise and worship, we move from level to level. God's no longer just, I know about God. Now I, I know Him, and I'm actually talking to Him. Now we're, we're friends. We hang out. And eventually you move into that place, and we talk a lot about it. And Valley View really uh, loves to go into this place of 
intimacy with God. And I remember one time a guy who had been involved in praise and worship in a lot of places, he said, oh, don't use that word intimacy. He said, that sounds weird. And I said, well, it may sound weird, but it's true. I mean, we're the bride of Christ. And we want to come to that place where we're intimate with our God, where we know Him in, in deep levels of knowing. And that can happen in praise and worship. B, praise and worship is important because it brings His presence and it brings His glory. His glory. Psalm 114.2, Judah, or praise, became God's sanctuary. There it is again. I, I saw this so many times. I didn't even write down all the times I saw it. I just did a study on this. I mean, every time I'd come across that Judah, I'd go, okay, what is he saying about Judah now? Judah became God's sanctuary. Does praise become God's sanctuary? Yeah, absolutely. And we can back that up with this next scripture. Go ahead. Psalm 22:3. O thou that inhabitest or feels at home the praises. Yeah, when somebody said that the Hebrew word inhabitest, one of the word inhabits can mean is feels at home. In other words, you can almost picture God kicking off his shoes going, oh, man, I'm at home here. Oh, this is it. This is it. Now, Linda and I have traveled and preached, and we pretty much stayed in people's home when we traveled and preached. There was a difference in homes. There were some homes that by the end of that week, I was kicking off my shoes. I could walk over to the refrigerator. I could wash some dishes. I could not offend anybody. I could click on the TV. I could talk. And then there were others where it was, it was formalities. God feels at home in praise and worship. You want Him to be comfortable? Start worshiping Him. He feels right at home in the midst of that. I love that scripture. All right, another one. Second Chronicles five twelve through 14 All the Levites stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen, the trumpeters and the singers joined in unison, as with one voice, to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. All right, let's talk about this verse for just a moment. East side. East side. What happened in the tabernacle on the east side? Does anybody know what happened on the east side of the tabernacle? Uh, I don't think so, but that could be. I don't, honestly don't know. I'm going to just say I don't know on that. So that's obviously not where I'm going, but that may be true. You might be right, Lisa. I honestly don't know. I'm just, going to, I'm just going to tell you because there may be a whole lot of things that I don't know about it. And so I'm just going to tell you what I do know, which is very little, except I do know a couple things. One, the Lord is going to come from the east, split the skies, and go to the west. He's going to come from the east. And so the east, when we want the presence of the Lord to come... There's something about this east side, on the east side of the altar. And then Judah would line up and lined up first facing, guess which way? The east, where the presence of the Lord would come. So I think it's, it's very significant that you have this, this picture of Judah, praise, where the presence of the Lord, which brings the coming of the Lord or the presence of the Lord. Fine linen. What is it that God gives us? Uh, when we're born again, what is it that he clothes us with? A robe of righteousness, which Revelation says is the fine linen. It's fine linen. So we have this robe of righteousness. How is it that we can come in and praise God uninhibited? You can't do that unless you know that you have that robe of righteousness on. You see, I stand before him holy. It doesn't matter what my week was like. Now, some people, if they don't get that yet, they'll come in here and it'll take them 20 minutes to work through their guilt because maybe they blew up or maybe they, they didn't always act right. And I'm not saying confession might be a part of your worship. That may be true. But you can enter right into his presence because he's given you a robe of righteousness. So the fine linen to me represents the robe of righteousness. Then it says they were in unison with one voice. There's something very powerful about God's people acting as one voice. What I would say, and even on Sundays, I, try to, I really try to stress this. It is so critical, and I want our people out there, because we, we open up our meetings to people to share things, to speak, to prophesy, 
to pray for people. All I ask is that we go, all of us go where the river is flowing. That we be very sensitive. What is God doing? What is God saying? So that we're as one voice. So that we're in unison. So that we're not a whole bunch of, you know, just a pile of bones. We're a body. Fit together, all doing the same thing. Not necessarily everybody doing the same exact thing in unison, but there's a unity there where we're all flowing with the river. Now, ask people to be sensitive. Now, listen, that's so important because let's say somebody comes up, they can say something good, they can say something right on, but if it doesn't click with what God's doing, you, you can just you can feel the gears just grinding and things kind of come to a halt. So it's really, really important for people to sense where's the river flowing? What is God doing? Where is he going? And we all try to flow together because that's when things happen. So we said we're facing the east, fine linen, unison, one voice, and then we have that word then. Look in that verse and find that word then. It's in capital. And put a little arrow underneath the word then, pointing to the next thing that comes up. Because then connects, the first part is connected to the second part. Then, after, after the east side, after the fine linen, after the unison, after the one voice, then, then, then what happened? Then the glory of the Lord filled the place. The word glory, you might want to write this down, that word glory means Literally, in the Hebrew, manifested excellence. Manifested excellence. In other words, the, gl- the glory of God, when we say the glory of God fills the room, it's His excellence that is now manifested in a way that one of our five senses can grasp. We may feel Him. What, what, what sense was manifested here? Sight. Sight. What did they see? They saw a cloud. But it was the glory of God they were seeing. So we might see something. We might hear something. We might feel something. We might smell something. But when we're worshiping God and we're going for it with that robe of righteousness on and we're all in unity, God says, I will kiss that with my glory. I'll come and I'll flood this place with the glory. And it'll be such a way that people go, man, I saw God. Man, I felt God. Man, I I heard God speak. And all of a sudden, God's glory, he manifests himself in ways that people can see, smell, hear, taste, touch. It's manifested excellence. His glory, his presence is already here. It's already there on Sunday. But when his glory comes, it becomes manifested in a way that we can feel it or see it. On the day of Pentecost, his glory came. Which senses were engaged on the day of Pentecost? Anybody? They heard something. What else? They saw fire over people. Like a fire. Yeah. And then they heard. Again, what did they hear? People speaking in other languages. So the glory of God comes. I love this. Because I pray, I pray for His glory to come. I I pray for His presence to come. When we gather this Sunday, I'll tell you what, (laughs) it's really not that big of a deal if I'm there or not there. Or you. No offense. But it's a huge deal if he's there or not. Huge. And so my prayer, my prayer over our Sunday gatherings, because there's something special about a gathering of people in unison, in unity. Man, if we get on the same page, there's no telling what God will do in this place. I mean, there's no telling. We can expect greater degrees of his glory and greater degrees of knowing him. All right. Getting super excited about this, and I've got to keep it moving. It brings victory. I think you said, Steve, about it was often a call to battle. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I'm going to quote that in just a moment. So you're, you're jumping ahead of me, but that's good. 
Go ahead, Spencer, read the scripture that we have there. I love this scripture. Second Chronicles 20, you guys, either in Discipleship 201, I think it was, you had to do this, and you listed all of the uh, weapons that they used to win this battle. But this was the final weapon right here. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 2 and 22. A vast army is coming against you. As they begin to sing and praise the Lord, set ambushes against the men who were invading. Yeah. So the moment they begin to worship and praise. So the enemy's been after people. We see it. They walk in there on a Sunday. And again, this could be on a Monday. It could be on a Wednesday. It could be on a Friday. It could be on a Thursday. It could be any day. But the enemy's hounding you. He's, he's attacking you. And God says... Like he said, what did you just say? Who did they say to send first? Send Judah first. Send Judah first, even into battle. What Judah means? Praise. Send the praisers out in front. And as they began to praise, the Lord confused the enemy. We've seen it on a Sunday, especially here, where you see somebody oppressed. You see the enemy upon them. We begin to worship and praise, and that breaks. There's victory in praise and worship. Unbelievable victory in praise and worship. All right. It brings freedom and deliverance. It brings freedom and deliverance. We're, let's see, that's Steve. Look at what this scripture says. This is pretty cool. In Acts 16, 25 through 26. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. What three things happen when they begin to praise and worship? What three things happen? Okay, beyond that, that's good. Others were listening. What three things happen with the prison? First of all, the foundations of the prisons were shaken. So if somebody walks into this place and we in unison begin to praise and the glory of God comes down, what's going to start to happen to the foundations of their prisons? They're going to begin to shake. What else happened? The door of their prison flew open. And then what else happened? Their chains fell off. I'll just, I will just declare it here. I am such a believer in worship and praise. Now, I do it just because he's worthy of it, period. Whether any of this stuff happened, he's still worthy of it. But the bottom line is he inhabits praises, and his glory comes. And when it does come, and what I've seen in now 30-some years of ministry, I can honestly attest that the majority of people that I've seen saved in ministry time on a Sunday or whenever we're gathering, has been during worship. You said a lot of healings take place. The majority of healings I've seen have taken place during worship and during praise. It's just the power of God shows up. If people are in prisons, he begins to shake and rattle that prison to set them free. In one particular church, and I've shared this before as a testimony on a Sunday morning here, we began to expect that people, because God was sending in, it was almost like last Sunday here where we had six new people. Well, we were having new people come every Sunday. It was just like they were hearing that what was going on, and they just started to show up. And we got to where we expected new people to show up every week. And then we got to expect where somebody was going to get saved every week. And we got to expect that it was going to happen during our worship, because that's what happened for about three, four-month period every single Sunday. We would begin to worship God, and they would just begin to come forward, weeping, crying. Sometimes they'd come forward. I'd, I'll never forget. They'd be just squalling around. I'd go, go down there. I'm playing my guitar. What are you up here for? I don't know. You know, I'm like, I do. I do. And I'd say, come over here, minister to her. And they'd come up and minister to her. And another one said, it was just, uh, man. So this is what happens. Picture this when you're worshiping God. That and, and this can happen in believers' lives. Believers can find themselves in a prison of a sin that they're having trouble with. What happens is, as they begin to worship God or people around them begin to worship, the foundations of their prison shake, the doors come flying open, the chains come off, and yet not one person is hurt. 
Not one person was hurt. I mean, they're shaking the foundations. Chains are falling off. So hard, doors are opening up, but not one person's hurt. People will not get hurt when we go for it with everything we've got. People will get set free. And so I want us, the fear of man's got to go in the name of Jesus. I'm so tired of the fear of man. And people are like, oh, I'm afraid. What's over? Stop it. You're hindering God's glory from coming and doing. They won't get hurt. They'll be helped. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Brings freedom. Brings deliverance. It's the most fruitful. We're back to Spencer. It's the most fruitful. Numbers chapter 26, verses 2 and 22. Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel. These are the clans of Judah. Praise as they were listed, 76,500. So, what does that mean? Well, when you read that chapter, he names all 12, all 12 tribes. And guess who had more births than any other tribe? Judah. Again, I mean, I'm just, anything I can find on Judah, I'm like, well, praise. Praise brings new births. So, it was the most fruitful of all the tribes, I believe that praise is where we'll see a lot of people born again. It's fruitful. And then it prepares the bride for his coming. It prepares the bride for his coming. Acts fifteen sixteen. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Isaiah 61, 3. And provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise mm. instead of a spirit of Lord, despair. Lord, do that. Do that. A garment of praise instead of despair. Real quickly here, tell me, what are some of the garments that the righteous wear in the Bible? What are some of our garments that we wear? We mentioned one earlier today, the, the fine linen. What was that? The robe of righteousness. What else do we wear? The belt of truth. We're getting okay. Let's go. Let's make it more general than the belt of truth. What in Ephesians six? What are we wearing in Ephesians chapter six when we're doing warfare? Spiritual armor. That's another garment we wear. I mean, we we're going in and out of these garments. We have the robe of righteousness on. Actually, we don't go in and out of them. We keep them all on all the time. We have the armor of God on. A servant's towel would be another one. What the servants wore. We wear a servant's towel and we wear. Go ahead. Garland of grace. I like that. We wear a garland of grace. We wear a garment of praise, too. Now, my wife is redheaded. And I'm, I call it silver. Steve and I. And there are certain things my wife will say, well, that looks good on you with that white hair. That looks really good. Because there's some things that look better than other things. Some things don't look as good. And the same thing with a redheaded person. There are some things that look better on Linda than other colors. I mean, those are two kind of distinguished colors that kind of stand out. So therefore, some things look good, some things don't. I'm telling you, the garment of praise looks good on you. When you're wearing the garment of praise, God goes, man, are you beautiful. Oh my gosh, look at you. Why? How can I say that? Read that last scripture. I, I didn't let you read it yet. Psalm 33, 1. Praise is comely. Praise is comely. What does that mean? It's pleasant to look at. It's attractive to the upright. Yeah, so God says praise looks good on you. What doesn't look good on us? What's the opposite of praise? Grumbling. Yeah, grumbling, complaining. God goes, ooh, stinky. That doesn't look good at all on you. Get that off you. That doesn't look good. You look a whole lot better in that other garment. Oh, you like the garment of praise? Oh, I love the garment of praise. I'll put it on for you, Jesus. Ah, that looks good. You look good. It just looks right on you. It looks right on a believer. So the reason why I say that is because praise and worship is much more than just Sunday morning. In your car, as you're driving, as you're showering, as you're washing dishes, as you you can begin to worship God, and you'll, you'll begin to know that God is inhabiting at that moment. Breaking chains, maybe in your own, helping you have victory right at that moment. He's helping all these things. They don't, they're just not, they're not confined just to a Sunday morning when a praise band happens. But you can do this. We can do this. And God loves it. 
All right, let me go to the second part. A treatise on praise. A treatise. What is a treatise? I think I have it in your notes. What is it? Yeah, so this is Psalms 150, I told you. Uh, and I'm going to have to keep us moving through this. There's a lot of good stuff I want to share here. Uh, I may even share this on a Sunday morning here shortly. I just uh, We did it once before, and I, I may do it again. It's encapsulated in six verses. God answers four questions about praise and worship. It's the most comprehensive teaching on praise and worship that I know of in the entire Word of God. The last chapter in the book of Psalms. All right, let's go through it. We're going to go through each verse. Verse 1 answers the question, where? I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you to answer the question and just tell me what the word says, all right? Number 1 is where. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his, in his mighty heavens. Okay, so where are we praising God? Let's answer this. Let's, let's not rush through this. Where are we praising God? Okay, we're praising God in his sanctuary. Who is his sanctuary? We are. We are. Now, I want you to remember that. What's the next one? Praise God where? In his mighty heavens or in the mighty expanse. That would be wherever God is. It's not just talking about this heaven up there. It's talking about in the heavens. So my question to you is, where do we praise God then? If we praise him in his sanctuary... And if we praise Him in His mighty heavens, where do we praise God? Everywhere. Everywhere. Where's God? He's everywhere. Wherever you go, you can praise God. We used to sing a chorus that went, Wherever I am, I'll praise Him whenever I can. I'll praise Him. Literally, wherever you are is okay. Now, it may not be okay if you're at work. It may not be okay to praise God out loud. You may have to do it under your breath. At TSA, I did, though. I praised God often. Often. So the question to where is anywhere. Now, before we pass the mic, who read that one? You did? Because there's a principle with several of these, so I want you to read the principle now. Wherever he is and I am is appropriate. Okay, that's the principle to where. Wherever he is, wherever I am is appropriate. Question two, why? Why do we praise God? And he answers it concisely, precisely in verse 2. Psalm 150, verse 2. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. All right. Simple. So, uh, church, class, whatever we are, we're both. Uh, Why are we praising God? Somebody help me out. What does it say? For his acts of power. That's what he does. Now, I used to belong to a church years ago. We had prayer request time. And we had lots of prayer requests. Lots of prayer requests. And then after we all gave our prayer requests, how many of you have unspoken prayer requests? And they're all the hands went up with all the unspoken prayer requests. What amazed me is I thought, when are we going to have a praise report time? To praise him for what he has done. So... It's very, you know, and prayer requests are fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't know how to pray until you hear something sometimes. But we want to make sure that we offer a praise for what he does. But he tells us another reason why we praise. What is it? For his surpassing greatness. This is for who he is. Now, this is really critical. You want to know why? Because sometimes, let's, let, let's take it to a Sunday morning again. Now, it doesn't have to be Sunday morning. It can be tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon. But let's take it to a Sunday morning. Somebody comes in, we're saying, anybody have a praise report? And maybe, you know, nobody can, I, I can't really think of anything. I mean, I, yeah, I could say I'm breathing and I'm alive and there's a lot. Of, but I don't really have one. Does that mean you have nothing to praise God for then? No, here's the key. He never changes. So the second one, and again, maybe this means more to me than it probably means to anybody in this room, but being raised in the Pentecostal church where we thrived on what God did, man, when we would hear a praise report, our play, that church, they'd go berserk. They'd go crazy praising God. But it kind of seemed like 
They needed that. And I remember when I came across this, all of a sudden, God said, you know, I'll do great things for you, but you don't have to have that. You can praise me just because of who I am, and that never changes. So that means tomorrow at 3 p.m., he's still the same, still worthy of praise. doesn't matter whether something great has happened or not happened at that point. I no longer need that. I mean, the first part's good. I want to praise him for what he does. But I no longer need that. Now he's worthy of praise. So what does that tell me? What's the next principle? Principle number two. The foundation of praise and worship is not feelings, but who God is. If people get a hold of this, the moment they walk in, they won't need three songs to get them going. They'll be going from the moment they walk in. Why? Because he's God right then. He's God. It's not something we have to work up. Again, my Pentecostal background probably coming out. And, it, and it may, you may not be able to appreciate this as much as I appreciate it, but I'm telling you, we don't need it. But even at Valley View, it's just like, wake up. God is God. That's all you need. That's all you need. What else do you need? Well, you know, I don't know. He hasn't really done You don't need that. He's God. He's worthy of your praise. Right now, let's go for it. Let's all do this in unison. Because if we do this, the glory of God will come. Then you probably will start to feel stuff. Because the feelings will come, you'll start to see things, you'll hear, but it doesn't matter. You praise Him for who He is, whether you feel it or not. What a powerful point. All right, the third question. He says, I'll even answer how. I'll get specific here. I'll tell you how to praise me. You're up, Tabby. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and flute. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with the resounding cymbals. All right. Now, I don't think that this is a complete list by any means. I think this would be the hardest one to answer in a complete list. The other ones you can answer pretty precisely with a couple points. So he gives us an idea of how to praise Him in verse 3 through 5. What do you see in that? Anything. What, is, what stands out to you? And give me, try to keep it to like a word or two. All right, instruments. That's good. Noise, motion. Good. Joy. Enthusiasm. Joy. Dancing. Flowing from the river within. Music. Oh, he seems to love music. All right. Let me give you some of the things that I saw on this. And these are just general principles that I saw. Uh, not that mine are any more right than what we just heard. I loved what we just heard. One of the things I saw in there was that worship should be lively. And by lively, once again, I don't mean what my Pentecostal brethren mean. And I'm not picking on my Pentecostal brethren. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. I thank God for the heritage that I had and what a, the batch of the Holy Spirit I received there, my salvation I received there. You know, but... I'm not talking about lively in the sense of hooping it up in a temple. It could include that. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about it's alive with the presence of God. That can be very quiet or that can be very boisterous. But it's alive with the presence of God. Um, years later, I went back to this Pentecostal church and it's, it's dying. It's dying. It's, it's just dying. There's a handful of... Very old people. My parents are like some of the young ones, and they're 78. And but age doesn't mean anything. But it's dying. And, but as we begin to see that process take place, I remember I took my brother there back with me, my, my youngest brother. And then I said, Scott, I want you to go to, with me to North Coast Christian Community. I want you to go next Sunday with me. I want you to see something, because this is what you've seen all your life. And you see what you just saw. I want you to go with me. And we walked into this place, and I'm not even going to tell you what they did in praise of worship, because that's not relevant. They did a lot of the things you saw here, as far as what you could see. But when we walked out, he looked at me, and he said, wow. He said, wow, what? He said, there's just life. Everywhere you look, it's just life. Life. And I said, you saw it. You felt it. You sensed it. 
It was full of life. Life. And there's a discernible difference. Listen, when Melinda and I walked into Valley View, even in its most hurting time, probably one of its most hurting time in its history, there were 15 people here, and you could tell there was discouragement here. There was weariness here. They were wore out. They were discouraged. But Tom Blosser got up, began to sing, and Micah Blosser, his son, played a guitar, just the two of them. Up there, they started to sing. And I, I said, oh, my gosh, Linda, there's life. There's life in that place. There's discouragement. They're weary. They're wore out. The battle's been long, and, and they're wondering when it's ever going to end. But there's still life there. Did you sense it? She said, yeah, there was there and you're going to be the next pastor and I said I don't know about that and you know it looked way too I don't know she said oh you are you're going to be the next pastor there but there's life it's something that is very real our worship should breathe with the spirit of God the very breath of God the word spirit holy spirit it the word in the Greek means breath it is life it's breathing in and breathing out and it should exude life it should be lively, lively. Another word that I could not deny was loud. Was loud. I mean, you can't read verse 3 through 5 without hearing loud. I was laughing the other day. Jordan was playing the drums, and Jordan kind of gets pretty passionate when he plays the drums, and he gets a little loud. And Tom said, I'm bringing my earplugs next week. That was really loud. Whether it was too loud or not, I don't know, but for people, whatever. But you can't deny clashing cymbals, 4,000 instruments, trumpets. God apparently, you know, look, I was at a ministerial alliance meeting one time, walked in, it was a Thanksgiving meeting, and I'm reading, you know, I'm part of this ministerial alliance where all of our churches are there. Open up this bullet and it says, be, I don't remember which was first, be reverent, be quiet. And that just got under my skin. Because since when does reverence mean quiet? Since when? Now, maybe you equate it with quietness. Reverence means respect. And if we respect God, we're going to be worshiping Him in the plethora of ways that He describes in the Bible. And most of those, most of those, most of them aren't quiet. It means to revere. It means to respect. Now listen, my kids, the Bible says wives reverence your husbands. It uses that word. Last thing I want, you know, I'm driving home, come in the driveway and they go, kids, shh, dad's home, shh. I come walking in, they're all reverencing me. No, I loved it when they would come running up to me and they would jump on me and I'd play with them, kick them on my leg and I'd chase them down. Now I can only do it with my dog because there's nobody else there. But I do it with her now. I love that. And the Father loves it. Since when have we equated reverence with quiet? And when I hear that to this day, it grates on me. Now, does that mean that there aren't times where reverence isn't quiet? Yes. If God is saying, hush, be quiet, then reverence at that moment is to hush and be quiet. There are times when that's absolutely reverence. But reverence is simply revering and respecting Him and doing whatever He's asking us to do at the time. And if He's saying, I want to play with you guys, and he wants us to play. Mm. I just kind of want to blow religion out of the water right now with the Word of God and just combat it with everything I've got because even in Valley View, there's a little bit of religious spirit at times. So, you know, we, we're going to just come against that in Jesus' name. So loud, loud. Jehovah's app. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Various, uh, I think he's, I think he's kind of in the process of doing that. Uh, various instruments, where are we at here? Various instruments and expressions. Various instruments and expressions. Now, if you look at the list of, of instruments in there, I don't see acoustic guitar mentioned in there. I don't see piano mentioned there, but listen to me. Here's what I want you to see. This list, this list that he gives, it's really interesting because you know what? The three main components of instruments are listed there. There's wind, there's string, and there's percussion. All listed in verse 3 through 5. The three main. 
areas. So in other words, you know, I grew up, every church that I grew up in had a piano and an organ. I thought that was, that's what we were going to have in heaven. Man, get ready to be blown away. We're going to probably have all kinds of instruments. So any instruments that have to do with wind, string, or percussion, God loves them. He loves music. Somebody here said it. Music. He loves music. He loves it. He created it. And he just gets off on that. Listen to Oh, listen to that. Listen to Oh, man, Spencer wrote that song. Listen to Oh, I love that. Man, he loves that kind of stuff. And, and the expressions, look at, there's another page here. And I don't have time to read the scriptures here. I wish we did. But you guys, you got this. You can read it at home. With our mouth. These are all biblical. All of them. We speak praises. We shout praises. And we sing praises. Now, that's with our mouth. We do all three of those things. Now, when I was growing up, it was Pentecostal to shout. And then when, you got, when we became charismatics, we didn't shout. We now sang praises to the Lord. Hallelujah. You know what? God says, I'm not charismatic and I'm not Pentecostal. I like shouting and I like singing. It has nothing to do with those things. I like it all. So I loved it Sunday. I mean, there was a time when we first came, this was a very intimate, Tom would lead us into intimacy type worship, but there was a time where I told Linda, I said, man, we, I think because of what we've been through, there's very little celebration here. Very little. I, it's just like, I didn't know if we'd ever hear clapping or shouting or, you know, sounds of triumph in the house of God. Sunday got a little boisterous in here. A little crazy. And then, then again, that conga dance. The week before, he's just like, oh, man, I want to take my guitar off and go out and join the conga dance. I loved it. I should have. I should have. All right. Speaking, shouting, singing. With our hands, we can clap. That can be in rhythm, and not everybody can clap in rhythm. So if you don't clap in rhythm, don't. (laughs) Stop. Stop. Yeah. Doesn't seem to work though with some people. I'm just telling you. I'm just, just don't, you know. So you know, like there's a certain degree. Some of these take some skill, but applauding the Lord. I love the fact that we can just applaud Him. Why not? We applaud everything else. Why not applaud the Lord and just clap on our hands to Him? We lift our hands. To me, you know, the Bible doesn't say what that means. So this is this is my interpretation, and I'll just be very clear. To me, when I'm lifting my hands, I'm surrendering to Him. I'm reaching for him. Uh, Maybe it means something else for you, but that's how I picture it. I'm lifting my hands to the Lord. And we play instruments, and this is one exception where, again, the Bible says in Psalms 33, I think verse 3, to play skillfully before the Lord. Now, like me, I don't have a lot of skills, so I can take the skills I have and offer them to the Lord and try to surround myself with people like Spencer or like Chris or other people that are way more skillful than I am. And then they can kind of compliment and, and bless and, and, and so on. So, but still, you know, you do want to be playing skillfully to the Lord. Um, with our bodies, we can stand and worship. There's something reverent about standing before the Lord. And, and I think that's kind of cool sometimes, just to stand before him. There's something, it actually says that to bless him with standing. And there are standing. So, I mean, it's a way we can bless him. There's also bowing before the Lord. Oh, wouldn't it be neat if, if we saw a little bit of all of this happening in our church? I think we should. And dancing before the Lord, which can be trained dancers, but it can also just be us doing like we were doing Sunday, just jumping to the Lord and just having a blast in his presence. He loves it all. I was even in a mosh pit one time for Jesus. That was, that was different. All right, so let's read the principles here. And since there's so many, why don't we pass it down and each one read a principle, and I'm going to give you the last question and close. Principle number three, praise and worship begins in the heart, but is expressed outwardly. One guy walked up to me one time. I'll comment on each of these probably a little bit. One guy walked up to me one time. He said, Rich, are you happy? And I said, yeah. He said, notify your face. (laughs) Praise and worship begins here. But I promise you, if it's really happening here, it will be expressed outwardly. You won't be able to contain it. So when people tell you, I'm just praising God in my heart. I'll say, okay, okay, keep going. 
keep going because eventually you'll be dancing. You'll be bowing. You'll be doing whatever the river is wanting us to do. And it will be natural because it will be coming out of your heart. It won't even be hard. Because it, it starts in the heart. That's true worship. But it's expressed outwardly. Principle number four. It's not a matter of choosing which to express, but expressing all as the Spirit leads. So if you were looking over the list of nine things and you were saying, I could see myself doing this, but I would never do that. I don't do this. I'll never do that. Wrong. A disciple doesn't choose what to obey. A disciple obeys whatever God's prompting you to do. And some people say, well, I'll do it when he leads me to do it. He's led you. It's in his word. Now it's just when's the appropriate time to do it. You see, I think every disciple, sometime or another, will dance. may not be pretty to other people, but I think they'll dance at some time or another. They'll bow at some time or another. It's not a matter of choosing. I don't choose any of those things. I'll tell you, all nine of those look good to me. All nine of them. I love doing them all. It's like, what do you want, Dad? What do you want, Father? What is it that your heart wants now? Oh, is it playtime? Is it quiet time? Is it, what do you want? Because I want to please you. And he sits there, oh, this is so delightful to me to watch you do that. You, you mean you liked it when I was jumping? It didn't even look very good, did it? He goes, no, I was laughing. It was kind of funny, but man, was it good. I loved it. You were doing it to me. Yeah, I was. I loved it. I loved it. I love it when you express your love and praise in all these varied ways and you no longer say, no, I won't ever do that. No, you're beyond that now. You're like anything, God, anything. I don't care what people think anymore. All right, all right, let's go on to the next principle. Principle number five, he already has led with his word. Yeah, that, that goes with the excuse that people go, I'll do it when he leads me. And then I go up to him and go, well, here it is, right here. Psalms 47, verse 1 Clap your hands, all you people. That's pretty clear leading. Clap your hands. What does that mean? It means clap your hands. All you people. What does that mean? That means all you people. That's pretty clear. Now, again, there's appropriate times as the river's leading us to do different things. That's where we want to flow in the river. But what I want to get people is to get out of the thing going, I would do this, I would never do this. I'm like, oh, don't ever tell God never. <laughs> don't ever tell God never because he, no, don't ever tell God never. Jamie Buckingham said, I'll never be slain of the Spirit. Wrote a book, wrote a book following all the different things, following Catherine Kuhlman around. Was at Catherine Kuhlman's meeting one time, and he was convinced now that it was real. He was absolutely convinced this is real. He went into it very skeptical, but he said, I saw way too much. I know it's real. Now, that doesn't mean everybody you've seen slain of the Spirit is real. But he'd seen the things that he knew was real. And he said, I watched her walking down this aisle. And she was walking right down the aisle, right toward me. And he said, I stepped back to the next aisle. He says, I was not going to do it. Not in front of all these hundreds of people out there. He said, the moment I stepped back, she stepped back that aisle and walked. Got about 20 feet from him. He said, the next thing I remember, I was looking up at the underside of the grand piano, squalling my eyes out, worshiping God. And I could care less what anybody out there thought. Never tell God you'll never do something. Don't. That's a challenge to God. He'll, he'll knock that pride, because usually it's pride. Usually it's pride. All right, let's move on. Number six. Never excuse biblical worship, but always be ready to explain it. I want you to really hear this principle. That's this principle, number six. Put a star by it, something Because if we're really going to go for all these biblical expressions here, I'm telling you, people aren't used to that. They will walk in. In that church where we saw people saved, some of the people we saw saved at the beginning of our meeting, their eyes looked like saucers. What did I get myself into? And yet they still got saved. Because the power of God was so strong during that little season, it was so powerful, the glory of God was so powerful, that they couldn't resist anything. Fortunately, they didn't run out right away. But I've seen people, and I used to train our people. I say, if you see somebody freaking out, because let's face it, most of American Christianity is not biblical Christianity. It's not restored. It's not restored church out there. And so they walk into a church that is trying to do what the Word of God says, including the biblical expressions of praise, and they're going to be going, what on earth did I get myself into? We've seen it here. 
And I, we tried to train our people. If you see that, walk back, put your arm around them. And I usually tell people, take this nine examples, because we had all these nine things happening at different times. I'd say, keep that in your pocket and pull it out and show them where the things are in the Word. Explain it to them. Now, here's the key, though. I am more than willing to explain praise, biblical praise and worship. I am not willing to make excuses for it. I'm not willing to do that. I would much rather offend you or anybody else than offend God. If he calls it good, and if he says he wants it, and if he says he loves it, and if it's in his word, then I'm through making excuses for that. I won't do that. I will not do it. I'll explain it, but I will not make excuses. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of his word. I'm not ashamed of any of those things if they happen as long as it's in the flow of what the river of God's doing. I'm not ashamed of any of those things that would happen in our place. I believe he's pleased with them. I pray to God. It, I'm, I'm asking you guys, because I think as we move more and more into praise and worship, we're going to see more and more expressions like we just read. All of them at different times. And if you see somebody freaked out, I'm asking you, go over and just kind of walk over and say, hey, is this kind of new to you? And be loving, be kind, show them in the Word. But at that point, they go, yeah, but you know, you can't make excuses for it. You just can't. You can't apologize. And that's what I mean by excuses. I don't apologize for the Word of God. All right, number seven. While God is a God of variety, He is also a God of unity. And that one basically says, yeah, all the expressions can happen, but we want to be on the same page. If my hand is sitting down to eat... I don't want my feet going, I feel like running track. I want my body to be on the same page. So we want to be on the same page. So I think we're going to see all these expressions, but it's going to be really, really critical, especially as the body embraces them, that we are on the same page. That doesn't mean everybody will be doing the exact same, but we'll be in the same flow of what God is doing. And when he's telling us to be quiet, we'll all kind of sense that. And it won't be like somebody, when we're quiet, all of a sudden go, ah, I feel like clapping my hands. No, 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 no. But I thought you said that was good. Not now. It's not good. God's not doing that. He's not asking for that right now. So there's a flow. There's a flow of the Spirit that is so critical that we flow with them. All right, next principle. Principle eight, let it flow naturally. Note, it will probably be awkward at first, but eventually should become very natural. All right, everybody smile. Now, initially, when you're smiling, especially if somebody asks you to smile, it might be awkward. But if you're happy, you don't even think about it. You don't think about that smile. It just happens. I don't have to sit there and go, I'm happy. Oh, yeah. It just kind of naturally happens. It's the same thing with praise and worship. I tell people, now the first time you dance before, I remember the first time I jumped before the Lord in a church. First time? Awkward. Now I meant it with all my heart. I was loving God with all my heart, but I'm sitting there, everybody's probably watching me. Oh my gosh. But after a while, I forgot all about that. And now it's just the most natural thing in the world. And that's where when you know you're getting comfortable in, in his skin, you know how they say you're getting comfortable in your skin, you're getting comfortable in his skin when these things are just natural. They don't, you don't second guess it. It just flows out of the abundance of your heart. And it goes into these different expressions that he loves. He loves them. All right. Let me give you this last one and close with a word of prayer. The last question is who there is a scripture for it. And who's reading? I don't even remember where we're at because we spent. Okay, Chris. Verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I love this because I usually tell people when we get to verse 6, I say, so if you're not breathing, you're excused from praising God. But, again, even further than that, we're New Testament people. What does the word spirit also, what does the Greek word that's translated spirit also translated to mean? Breath. So not only am I breathing natural breath, I'm a new covenant person. I'm breathing the very Spirit of God. All the more reason. Let everyone who has breath praise God. 
I'm breathing naturally, and I'm breathing supernaturally. Man, God, you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. Little homework assignment. Uh, just write down, if you would, what are some reasons why people don't praise God? Why don't they? Whether we're talking about the nine expressions or just in general, why? Why wouldn't people? And next week will remind me, if I forget, because I might forget, say, oh, yeah, you asked us to do this, and uh, you don't have to look up the scriptures. You don't have to, this is just your opinion. Why you think that some people don't? All right? Father, we are so in love with you. <laughs> Man, I love, I love the class. I love what you're doing in our church. I love the life, the life that there is. I love that. I love it from the moment I walk in on Sundays and I see people, or when we're done with our practice, and I see people just talking and sharing. I just see life going back and forth. And, and when we're, people begin to worship together, I love seeing that life. Lord, we want to do it. It's all for you. It's all for your glory. And it's all about you. You deserve it. You deserve it all. And we gladly give it to you. We were created to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Sorry, we went over just a little bit. Uh, blame Lisa. Lisa gave me permission to go over a little bit. <laughs> she did send me an email. She said, look, don't cheat us at those last points. But I'm really trying to honor what I said at 832. Hmm.